Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Behind the Box Score podcast. I am your host, Mac Mori, on this episode two, and we are in the thick of it here in the NFL already, headed into week three. This is Tuesday, September 19th, the day we're recording this, so we just watched the weird doubleheader Monday night football, which they, for some reason, do every year, and every year all of us are going, why did they do that? We didn't super love that, but it happened, so now we're going to go over week two, head into week three, and just go through a couple of things. Again, I'm your host, Mac Mori, born and raised in Kansas City, huge Chiefs fan, now living in Nashville, doing radio, and I'm going to be joined by a guy that I used to do radio with at the University of Tennessee. Alex Comas, he joined us on episode one. He's here episode two. He'll be here a lot. He's a New York Giants fan. So we both came off week one losses, and now we're coming back for week two. Coming off some dubs. Alex, yours was close, but you made it out. Nice job. Uh, You know, Mac, going into episode two, I was worried for what my intro was going to look like (laughs) because... For week one, you you just had to rub in the fact that we got forty zipped by the Cowboys, and for I, I was just thinking there was going to be some sort of slight right there, some sort of backhand remark about how we barely beat the Arizona Cardinals, who are intent an intentionally tanking team in the NFL. And boy, was I nervous, Mac, because <laughs> I, I I couldn't have expected it. It with. And, you know, we'll get into it more later, but boy, am I worried. And we're only two weeks into the season. Okay, I'm glad to hear that you're at least worried. Because after week one, you're like, dude, it's fine, which is which is a natural fan reaction. Uh, your anxiety as watching that game was equal to my excitement and eagerness that you guys would blow a catastrophic loss against the worst team in the league. But you didn't. Nice job. Um, and we're going to get to some of the worst teams in the league and how much worse it could get. First off, though, devastating injury to one of the best running backs in the league one of the best running backs of the last decade you could say this century and I don't think it would be a bad take Nick Chubb injured gonna be out for the season and now this is what we have to do as as football pundits is we have to look at okay what's the future gonna look like so uh Cleveland Browns did come out today and say that they're gonna work out and look into Kareem Hunt a little reunion there obviously after he was the RB2 for them for a few years, and was so productively, he could just kind of step in. Other names to look at, James Conner, obviously with the forementioned Cardinals on a team that you said is intentionally shaking. James Conner's good. Um, He can pass catch a little bit. He's a solid blocker, and he'll be able to step in as a veteran to most any system. Tyler Algier, who had 1,000 yards last year as a rookie, now kind of in this weird carousel of running backs in Atlanta with Bijan, with Cordell Patterson, Uh, Jonathan Taylor obviously is not happy with his situation, was wanting a trade. He's going to be back after week four, but you could just get rid of him. He obviously doesn't want to play. And the Colts have Zach Moss, who has been more than formidable. I just think he's a younger version, and and this is kind of the whole running back discussion, but we don't need to get into that. And then there's just Jerome Ford, who's just good. They could just keep Jerome Ford. I I honestly think they should. He looked really good. He had a great 70-yard run where he kind of just – changed the field i don't know alex that's kind of where i'm at just keep jerome ford and and keep pounding if you want to bring back kareem hunt on a kind of a cheap one-year situation that's fine i like kareem hunt but i don't know i that's kind of where i'm at yeah honestly mac like all those guys across the board are good options and i don't mind the sticking with jerome ford because against the steelers front seven that is a, a good front seven in the league um, for him to put together that 70-yard run, yeah, that's the bulk of it. 
but the the Browns have one of the better offensive lines in the league as well. So you can't go wrong with either of those options because you have a line that is a good run blocking team. Uh, hence, a lot of the success that Nick Chubb has had over the last couple of years. Um, and since they brought Stefanski in, that was his number one priority was to get a good offensive line to be able to run his system. So no, all those options across the board are good options. The Jonathan Taylor one would would surprise me a little bit, but same in terms of the fact that the the you look at it from how the Browns have kind of started buying in, which is not something we expect at all from the Cleveland Browns, but for them to make that trade for Deshaun Watson and pay him the money that they paid amidst all the t- things that he, you know, went through at that time when they traded f- for him, I still will go through for the rest of his career. They took that risk. They went out and they traded yeah. for Amari Cooper. Was a great addition to the team. He has been great for them. Um, and y- you have to think now, this is this is the best window they're going to have in terms of really competing. And I think for an NFC or an AFC North that is very much up for grabs, you look at and, and one of those teams that we'll get into here starting off 0-2 is the Bengals. Bengals yes. looking fa- yep. looking are lacking early. You know, I feel like the Baltimore Ravens are not a team that are, are the Baltimore Ravens of old where you're just like, oh, they're going to dominate the AFC North alongside Pittsburgh. Both of those teams are very formidable. So I feel as though the division is right up there for grabs for them. So, you know, a lot of people say the the biggest target for Jonathan Taylor would be Miami because they're all in. I think the Cleveland Browns could be look, looking like an outsider looking in on in that in terms of they've they've invested a lot in chips already so maybe they can make it make a play here for jonathan taylor yeah i don't hate it i just i just don't think that's where the browns timeline's at i i I, again it'd be exciting but i think they've got so much money invested in the position i don't think it would be it would be wise uh let's get to those ot and t o2 o and two teams alex uh right now we've got the vikings the bears the panthers the patriots the chargers the broncos the Bengals and the Texans. Those are all the 0-2 teams in the NFL. Now, among these, other than the Cardinals, which I, I didn't mention them, other than the Cardinals, which one of these 0-2 teams has the best chance to lose the longest? Now, I was looking at this dude, and if the Broncos lose to the Bears in two weeks, just I, I know Chiefs fan going in on the Bears, screw them. But this is true, dude. I mean, the Donkeys go to Miami next weekend, and... I don't see them winning in Miami. Let's scratch it off as a loss. That Chicago game at Chicago, if they lose that, this gets gnarly here. They're going to face the Jets, the Chiefs, the Packers, the Chiefs again, the Bills, the Vikings, the Browns. And then you get to December 3rd where they go to Houston. And we'll talk about C.J. Stroud later, but still you're at Houston. And then you got the Chargers, the Lions, the Pats. This this doesn't get any easier in fact it gets harder the beginning of the schedule here is where they needed to rattle off some wins the commanders and the raiders was an amazing opportunity for them to start 2-0 and kind of change this whole narrative with sean payton and russell wilson and now you've started 0-2 you're in a hole and you're going to miami then you're going to go face the chicago bears in week four that is the game that is the one clear game where they might actually have a shot if they don't do that there's a chance they go 0-10 and that's and that's serious. And then we start talking about this Sean Payton trade. Denver sent a first-round pick, 
2024 second round pick and a 2024 third round pick for Sean Payton. They didn't do that to lose games. Now I know it's the first year he's going to get a pass. That's fine. I'm just wondering when it is, when those offseason articles come around, or maybe it's by week 14 even, about was this Sean Payton trade worth it? Yeah, I think that conversation already needs to start. In two close games, I heard Sean Payton being revered as this all-time offensive guy. Well, in the first two games of the season, they put up 33 points against the Commanders, which is nice. The Commanders' defense has actually looked good. It was a lot of the second half, some high-raid stuff, had some turnovers. It was good stuff. And then you put 16 points in your home opener against the Las Vegas Raiders. You know what, dude? I, I, I'm not going to give it the pass. I'm not doing that. This, this is a bad trade for the Denver Broncos. And, and it's not even that a Sean Payton thing. It's, it's that it doesn't make sense. And Owen 10 is a real possibility for the Broncos. Russell Wilson not starting by week five. That's even more of a possibility. Wow. Wow. Uh, two weeks in saying already that, that the Broncos need to be con- reconsidering the trade they made for Sean Payton. I, I don't know about that, Mac. Now, I'm not going to argue with you that they missed real opportunities in week one and week two to get two, two wins on the board. Um, and they really blew – I think it was really a tale of, of two halves for them. Uh, they first – well, I should say, though, they finished out the first half really poorly in the, in the late second quarter. You had a bad Russell Wilson fumble that led to a touchdown for the commander. Terrible. Then, then you had a quick three and out. Um, it, the drive lasted – their drive lasted all of 30 seconds. It left a minute 20 on the clock for the commanders, and they let the commanders go down the field for 40 yards to kick a field goal um, going into halftime to put them down a touchdown. Um, and, and it, it just built up the momentum for the c- commanders coming out of the half. And then what do you know? First, first drive out of the half, a punt. And they also gave up a sack, which they gave up seven of them, uh, on Sunday against the commanders. You, you did mention though, the commanders have one of the better pass rushes in the league. All right. So yeah, right now they do. And, and, they absolutely that's do. That's been one of the, that's been one of the worries of the Broncos going into the season was their offensive line. Offensive line didn't perform well last season. And they didn't make too, too many improvements this past offseason. On the Sean Payton front, I think you're completely right on the fact that if they don't beat the Bears, that possibility is looming large of going 0-10. Because I mean, Sean Payton, that, that week four game, people would look at the Jets game, especially now with Zach Wilson starting, as, oh, that's a winnable game. But let's not forget the comments that Sean Payton made Yes. During the offseason, criticizing you. the job that Nathaniel Hackett did mm-hmm. with Denver last year. And the Jets have had that one circled all offseason. Aaron Rodgers himself was looking forward to playing in that game to to make Sean Payton regret those comments. And, and they're going to pound York, Russell Wilson, Alex. They're going to pound him into the ground. They they have pictures of him in the locker room right now with a big X circled on his face. Dude, they want to smack him. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what's going to happen. That's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be one of those games that the the Jets go into thinking, we've got to win this one if we want any chance of competing here in the AFC East and and, and making a playoff push. So (laughs) they are in real trouble, man. I I agree with you on it. I wouldn't go as far as to say as they should already start regretting the trade. I think the trade puts them in a bad position because when you look at it from the fact of all the pieces they gave up last season to go and get Russell Wilson, and now you gave up even more draft capital to go get your head coach, 
you're in real trouble because now what what opportunity for growth do you have if another poor season happens? You already gave up valuable draft picks. There's only so much you'd be able to do from that. You have so much money invested in your quarterback. And, you know, sure, soon enough, you know, Jerry Judy is two two years in, two or three years in. So he's going to be in. approaching the end of line of his, his or you're going to have to start franchise tagging these guys. So for them, I, I would be worried, but I, I'm not I'm not worried just yet. I, again, we we can see things unfold in a completely different way. I don't think two weeks into the season you could regret regret no, making I, a trade like that. Absolutely, I, absolutely. I, I I'm not going to just you know call it complete L on on the Sean Payton thing yet. I know that's going to take time, and you're going to have to give a head coach a couple of years. But you came into a roster that was that was ready to win. You know, a, a defense last year that ranked top ten in DVOA. Um, and, and now that's gone. You, you lost a couple of guys on the defensive side, but not enough for this. They've got the third most defensive penalties. Broncos have given their opponents 168 yards in defensive penalties in just two games. So now you've gotten rid of this defense that was holding up Russell Wilson just to be able to get six or seven games, just kind of propping him up. They're allowing the fifth most yards per drive right now. They're five for seven as far as red zone attempts for touchdowns their defense is. So the defense is gone. That was the one thing that made this team even somewhat scary. The defense is not what it was. And then just to give Sean Payton a little bit of credit here, what he does is he's an offensive guy. He's going to write a great script, right? You always hear about Andy Reid's scripts, the first 20 plays. You, you, man, these are going to be awesome. They're going to be clean. They're going to be prepped. And to be fair, they have been. You just look at the splits by quarters for the Broncos. They uh, average yards per attempt, just looking at their passing here in the first quarter, 13.9. Russell Wilson has attempted 10 passes in the first quarter this season. He is 9 for 10 for 90 yards and two touchdowns. 130, uh, or, or 9 for 10, 139 yards. Yeah, two touchdowns with 158 quarterback rating. You go to the second quarter, still pretty good. 14 for 17, 140 yards, two touchdowns, both zero picks. He's four touchdowns, zero picks in the first half. Now let's get over to the second half, third quarter. His completion percentage goes from 90 and 82 in the first quarter to the mid-50s, 54 and 57. He's under 60% in the second half so far. I know we're two games in, but this is these are just the things I'm looking at. His yards per attempt, remember we started at 13.9. I mean, record-breaking, unsustainable. Goes down to a, a more, you know, it would still be the league high or near it in 8.2. It'd be, it'd be very high for a whole season. Then you go down to what would be a catastrophic number in the second half to 4.5 and 5.7 yards per attempt. And, and your completion percentage goes down along with it. This just screams panic, disorganization, and no real ability to improvise. I, I, and it's, they, it's, in the second half, Mac, they didn't even, they didn't take those chances on deep balls as well. Versus the yeah. commanders. We saw Mar, we saw Marvin Mims with, I want to say it was sixty plus yard touchdown completion in the first half at the end of the first quarter, and then Russell Wilson also hit him down the sideline in the second quarter that led to the Brandon Johnson touchdown for them. Where where were those where were those attempts at all in the second half? And I, I feel like a lot of it has to look. Washington's pass rush was was relentless, and there were a lot Absolutely. of moments in the second half too where Russell Wilson's having to escape the pocket and, and make a play of it. And in the first half. You know, just just judging it by, off of eyes, it looks like he was so so much more comfortable in the first half and relaxed and not trying to do too much. 
whereas the second half, it looks like he was escaping for his life and had no other options too for outlets to extend the play or, or to, to, you know, make a difference. And it, I, I, I would be very concerned, Mac, but after watching the Panthers last night against the Saints, are you telling me you have more confidence in the Panthers pulling out a win in their first 10 games compared to the Broncos? Because I, I think the Broncos' defense, look, they've been highly penalized this season. They are the most penalized defensive team in the league so far. Yep. However, I can't I, – they still have one of the best corners in the league in Patrick Sertan. They can get to the quarterback. They created four sacks against the commanders. It, they're doing enough to get by, and I think with the division that's so very up in the air in terms of the Chargers are faltering as well. Chargers are 0-2. The Raiders are 0-2 as well. They, they, can, they can scrape one out from out of nowhere. Whereas the, the Panthers have already blown by two chances within their own division to scrape out Ws, and Bryce Young hasn't looked good in either of them. Yeah, and I'm going to give Bryce Young a little bit of, of, of leeway here because they've got the worst weapons in the league just from a wide receiver standpoint, tied in standpoint, running back standpoint. The offensive line uh, isn't worth a shit, and they don't really – I'm not a huge Frank Reich guy, so I don't, I don't dislike Frank Reich. I, I just don't know if he's really what he's been touted up to be. But you're right. The Panthers definitely are up there. If I'm, if I'm the Panthers, I'm, I'm worried. If I'm the Texans, I'm worried. And it's not – but the thing about that is, though, Alex, if you're the Cardinals, Panthers, and Texans, and if someone told you, hey, man, you're starting out your season 0-9, you'd go, you know, that stinks. I really would have wanted one win, but I got a rookie quarterback. We've got some assets. We're building for the future. Or if you're the Cardinals, you go, you know what? Kyler's not playing. This is a brand new coach. It's all going to be fine. If you're the Broncos, you've already used your assets to go get Sean Payton. You already spent the money to go get Russell yep. Wilson. This is it. This is the time, and now you're saying hello to the next three or four years of what a rebuild with no money and no picks. That's not going to be fun. You're, you're right. You're right. So, so I think you're correct as far as just looking at the probability for who could lose. But man, I, if I'm a Broncos fan, I am. I am worried. My blood pressure is high. I don't. I just don't know how I'm. I'm I. I wouldn't be able to do this podcast right now. That's all I'll say, Alex. If I was a Broncos fan, because I'd be extremely what? upset. Let me let me ask you one question though. Yeah. If you if you had to compare the Bears start and the Broncos start, mm. which which would you say would be the most more disappointing start? Because I I feel like consensus most people had the Bears as making a push in that AFC North, not or NFC North, not necessarily winning it, but at least giving the the Vikings a challenge. Um, given the you know lines were propped up this year as well to contend for the division, but everyone figured that the Bears were going to be around there, especially from the the progression that we saw from Justin Fields toward the end of last year. Everyone thought they were going to take a step up, and for them to look as lost as they've looked through two games, I I'd say the Broncos. More people would have picked them to make the playoffs just because of the situation that the AFC is. And again, we'll get into the comparison between NFC and AFC later in this pod, I know, um, when we're talking about the strength of the conferences. But for me, I think a lot of people put the Bears as as a team that would, would be making a push this year, and they've just looked completely lost. Like, they, they look like 
um, when they were tanking for Justin Fields. I mean, they look yeah. lost out there. And Fields looks lost. More importantly, Fields looks worse than he did last season. He's got cement for feet in the pocket. He's just staring. And with time, and I know the offensive line is great, but there were moments last week, Alex, and I'm sure you saw. I mean, we're talking five, six seconds of him standing still, looking really, it doesn't even look like he's scanning the field. It just doesn't look like Justin Fields. He looks completely out of sorts. Uh, this is from Benjamin Solak with The Ringer. He's got a lot of great stats. You can go follow him on Twitter. Um, Justin Fields has attempted 16 throws, or uh, we're talking about throws excuse me, that are behind the line of scrimmage. So 37% of a field's pass attempts have been behind the line of scrimmage. And he's only completed 50% of those, which is by far the league worst. You're talking about over a third of his throws are, you know, right next to him. And he's only completing one of two of them. And did you see at the end of that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Chicago Bears ran the same screenplay that ended up in a pick six and really ended the game. They ran that same screenplay three different times in a row. Once got penalized, second got penalized for separate teams, but first the Bucks, second the Bears, and then they ran it again at like, we're talking within the five or six yard line, and then it turns into an easy pick six where a lineman just rumbles in from two yards. It, ridiculous. So I agree. I think, I think just as far as disappointment, my disappointment meter is, is broken when it comes to the Chicago Bears. Uh, and, and it doesn't it doesn't help too that they're not staying out of the headlines. You had Chase Claypool last yep. week oh. um, getting called out for sleepwalking when it comes Terrible. to run blocking. Uh, this week he had to apologize to the team and he bounced back with a touchdown against the Bucks this week. But then after the game, uh, after you know the loss to the Bucks, they questioned Justin Fields on on just the the lack of success from the offense and how stagnant it looks. And he throws the OC under the bus for play calling. So. They, they can't stay out of the headlines, and it's you're only two weeks in uh, through a disappointing start. For, for them, I, I, I'd be worried for them going 0-10 as well, but I, I feel like also the NFC North has looked very formidable. Like we talked about the AFC West, NFC North as well hasn't looked promising. So a lot of these teams too, yeah. there's going to be those upsets in the NFL this week you know, every week where you're just like, did not expect that one to happen. Um, but I think we're spot on with those. Th- for me, it's those three teams in the Bears, the Broncos and the Panthers, that the possibility of 0-10 looks very legitimate. Going to be a sight to see. And uh, trust me, we will be talking about it here. Uh, let's go over to what I thought. I don't know if it, it definitely wasn't the best game of the week, but it was the game that I took the most from watching and that was the Baltimore Ravens versus the Cincinnati Bengals. It was a 27-24 win. It was a game that the Bengals put up 17 points offensively. They had an 81-yard punt return for a touchdown, which is always what happens in these freaking AFC North games. One team's like dominating, taking over, and then some weird thing happens that completely changes the whole narrative of the game. And, you know, box score watchers are going, oh, see, look, the, the, they hung with them the whole time. It's going, well, you know, this is why you – listen to behind the box score because we actually let you know what happened. So Lamar looked amazing. Incredible. He's completing 75% or near 74 ish percent of his passes right now, which is the highest in the league. He looks incredible in the pocket. He looks patient and poised. Alex, he looks like he knows where he's going. And if he doesn't, he can just get out. And that was with Tyler Linderbaum, their center and Ronnie Stanley, one of their tackles out this week, two of their best offensive linemen, 
were out. They had a myriad of injuries. They were able to get through it. 7.4 yards per pass attempt, up from 6.6 as a team last year. Lamar looks like he's really, really back right now, Alex. And it's not, it's not one of those situations where it's like, oh, it's a new offense, and now he's just passing it to Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham hasn't really done a whole lot. He missed a lot of the game. He's spreading out the ball. Todd Munkins getting it out of his hands quickly. I am loving, and I knew, and I, I, I was prepared to love it anyways. I almost had them winning this division because I feared a slow start in a, a Joe Burrow injury leaking into the regular season, but I didn't have the balls to do it. I had them the seventh seed, I think, or the sixth seed. I had them as a wild card. No, a fifth seed, highest wild card. Either way, this Ravens team is sick, man. Seriously sick. I, I was, I was about to say right there. His, his uh, passing yards per attempt is up. It's crazy what can happen when you have legitimate targets. Uh, yeah. I, Odell looked great in that in that first quarter um, against the Bengals. Just Lamar, I think, hit him for six catches um, before he got hurt, and Odell looked great. Zay Flowers has been mm. incredible. They they've yeah. found a way to get the ball in his hands at every possible time. Um, specifically in the second quarter, there's uh, the, one of their touchdown drives. Zay Flowers got the ball four four or five plays in a row. Uh, they, they hit him for a slant route, got 20. Hit him on a deep route down the sideline, got got another 15. Then, then you had like a jet sweep that they ran for him. I mean, he got stuck after two yards, but they're trying to get him the ball as much as possible because his speed, his agility, it, it's tough to guard. Um, and, and when you're able to, you get two dynamic guys like that to put along a Rashad Bateman, who yeah. I was high on, coming out of the, when he was coming out of the draft but he had Same. no other weapons apart from Rashad Bateman. We're mentioning all these guys and I still haven't even touched on Mark Andrews. Exactly. So, this th- finally Lamar has some weapons other than Willie Sneed and and Devin <laughs> Duvernay out there. I mean it's it's about time that they got him something to work with offensively. And and, and, even and I like Devin Duvernay. Jake, He's No, sorry, go Alex. Go go go. Sorry. <laughs> And, and even with the J.K. Dobbins injury last week, you have a guy with Gus Edwards that I think flies under the radar because he's he's a solid runner. He's a power mm. runner. He gets you yards. For his career, he's an average 5.2 yards per carry running back. Wow. You wow. get him more carries, and, and especially they've already used him a lot on the goal line to pound the ball in. I, I think Gus Edwards is going to fill in just fine in the J.K. Dobbins role. I completely agree, and I think – Justice Hill isn't half bad himself. He actually led the team as far as the the rushing attempts and the no. snaps in those back in the backfield. So I think they've got two guys back there that can that can hold up for the loss of J.K. Dobbins. And then you've got a defense that looked good on all three levels. There's another there's a defense that also had injuries, still without Marlon Humphrey. Marcus Williams, the safety's out. Geno Stone steps in, looks great, makes a couple of awesome plays. Just has the sort of innate ability to know where the ball is going to go. And right now, you know, to be honest, it's not like the Bengals' offense is hard to read right now, Alex. I'm confused about them. Joe Burrow obviously has to get healthy, but 4.2 yards per attempt. 7.4 last year, 4.2 this year. That's tied for the lowest in the league next to uh, aforementioned Carolina Panthers, who are hot garbage, or the Cleveland Browns and New England. All teams that have quarterback struggles, offense struggles, weapons struggles. None of those things should equal the Cincinnati Bengals, who have Jamar Chase. He's not getting the attention he needs either right now, Alex. 
just looking up some stuff here. Obviously, this is his third season in the league. Last year, he had 25 targets through two games. This year, 17. Last season, only had three games with under 10 targets, and it was nine, eight, and then one game with six targets. He did miss, I believe he missed four games last year. Can't quite remember. But this year, he hasn't had it. The first two weeks, he hasn't had a game with 10 targets. He hasn't had one game with 10 targets. I mean, they've, they've got to feed this man. You're talking about the Ravens getting in situations where they get, you know, we're going to get Zay Flowers in space. We're going to get Odell Beckham this ball on the slant right away. Oh, hey, here's Devin Duvernay, our kind of gadget guy. We're going to get him on a wheel route for a touchdown. You know, things like that are already, you see Todd Munking working. I don't see what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. I, I saw T. Higgins work his way into the middle of the field a couple of times and get open. The protection isn't there. The offensive, you know, game plan, for lack of a better word, doesn't seem really finite or like it's pointed in any one direction. They don't have the identity, I guess is what I'm trying to say that I usually see them have. No, no. And and I could see that frustration building in mm-hmm. Jamar as well, because you, you saw it on, on T Higgins, second touchdown pass on a third down play that they ran. Um, you had Jamar, Jamar chase running an out route. Joe, Joe Burrow Ooh. missed him so bad on the out route. Ooh. And Jamar Chase comes back to the sideline fuming. Just like, how do, you, how do you miss me on that? Sure enough, the very next play that they run on, on the goal line, T. Higgins touchdown. Jamar Chase isn't even on the field for that play. And, and, and it's just it's that frustration's building. I mean, they, they started off 0-2 last season, made their way to the playoffs, right? So, yep. so yep. 0-2 for them is nothing. It's it's the fact that this team is they're, – they're, throughout that whole team, they're used to the success. They expect success in, in terms of, of contending for that division. And when you shoot yourself in the foot and start 0-2, it, you're, you're starting from behind. You're starting making up ground from the get-go. Um, and for the talent that this team has on, on both sides of the ball, I, I, it just – it looks dysfunctional. It, and you don't understand why. Joe Mixon is not is not performing poorly. You know he, he's he's got had thirteen rushes, fifty nine yards against the Ravens. Yeah, he's been, he's offense, been all right. Which, yeah, it, it's it's all right. But that's that's the thing. It's been everything has been all right. Week one, they played in tough conditions against Cleveland. So I I don't want to fault too much there. But it's it's week two. Conditions are f- perfectly fine. Normal you know football playing conditions. It's not raining, pouring like it was in Cleveland. And it, it just looks off. And I think, really, the, the Joe Burrow lack of success, I, I think we could definitely tell that that calf is bothering him. Uh, because when you look at quarterbacks, their passing success rate this season so far, Joe Burrow, Burrow is ranked 29th. He's, he's at a 34.7% clip. Two guys below him, Zach Wilson and Bryce Young. Mm. Oh, disgusting. That's disgusting. Bad- Bad territory to be in right there. That's that you never want to be mentioned in that sort of <laughs> that sort of tier. He he's he's moons above them, obviously, but he's he's ailing right now. And and this this injury has now lapsed over into the season. They've mentioned that, you know, he he I forgot ex- exactly what the quote was, but they were talking talking to him about the injury after the game, and he said basically something like, it's good enough, kind of indicating, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and make excuses. But it's not 100%. I'm not my best self right now. I am fighting through something. And again, we're in September here, man. 
They've got a long road to hoe, and you mentioned 0-2 last year. They rattled off six straight wins. We've already mentioned the difference in the Ravens, their divisional rival. We've talked about the Browns. They've got some strengths. They've also got some weaknesses, but they've got some things going for them. The Pittsburgh Steelers have a defense that's just going to absolutely pound you over and over again. This isn't going to get easier, and I, I'm not worried yet about the Bengals. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, panic button, Cincinnati. But let's not just say, hey, last year they started 0-2. It'll be fine. They're fine. It's really hard. And they won that division by a two-game stretch because of the Lamar Jackson injury. And then they went into the playoffs. I think it was a game and a half, really. It came down to the last game or two of the season to decide that division. And then they went and played in the it playoffs. It came down to a Sam Hubbard, Sam Hubbard fumble recovery. Yes, that's all that's that what it was. That's what it came down to. That's all that it was. That that that's literally the difference here that we're talking about. And of course, they they made it back to the AFC Championship game, and, and, and they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. But they made it back there. So I, I just want to notice out the differences, though. This this is they've got a bigger uphill battle. Joe Burrow's hurt. The Ravens are better. The division's better. The conference looks to be at least more competitive in general. I, I, it's something to keep an eye on. And speaking of keeping an eye on it, that brings us to our next segment. Keep an eye on it, where we're going to do this every now and again. I'm basically just going to run through some things, and you, you, Alex, you can obviously just kind of go tit for tat with me here. These aren't necessarily takes. These are just things that I'm looking at, Alex is looking at, that we're going to kind of hash out and talk through. Um, first off, Alex, we talked about this a little bit on episode one. And then we got to see them again on Thursday night football against the Vikings in what was a, a, a weirdly close game. They let Minnesota crawl back in it. And I kind of knew they were going to. I, I like the Vikings still this year. They're an 0-2 team I'm not really worried about, especially being in that NFC. But the Eagles offense and Brian Johnson, I, I'm I'm worried about it. I, I, I don't know. I, again, another team that kind of seems like they don't know where their identity is, right? Yes, I, I agree on that. but. I'm more worried about, did we notice the drama toward the end of the game? In Ooh, terms of, we yeah. had an A.J. Brown-Jalen Hurts confrontation. A.J. Brown through two games, not getting as many targets, not having as much success as Devontae Smith. Um, and, and also, I think it's worth noting, you know, I threw out there Joe Burrow's success rate this season amongst quarterbacks. I said he's in, you know, he's in the, you, you got below him at 30 and 31, you have Zach Wilson. You want to take a guess who's at 32? Oh, no. Oh, no. It'd Don't be Jalen it. Hurts, Mac. Ah, shit. That's sad. But, look, to be 2-0 and through that, and and you could just tell by that yeah. team something's off. Yeah. Um, you know, defense didn't, didn't close out the game very well in the second half versus the Vikings. Now, let's bear in mind the Vikings have a strong offense, especially um, passing their their – Offensive line held up well for Kirk Cousins, um, even against the Eagles' pass rush, which is one of the better ones in the league. You know, bear in mind, though, Alexander Madison, you know, I, th- I think it's worth noting, the Vikings are clearly missing Dalvin Cook and haven't had that rushing threat. And Alexander Madison has struggled. He fumbled in the game against the Eagles. And for them to be very, you know, all they had to do was worry about the pass with the Vikings because running the ball – but the Vikings were getting absolutely no success Nowhere. Um, with. And two, the Vikings had a huge deficit to come back from um, with how poorly they their defense held up in that first half against the Eagles. So I, I just don't understand how 
their offense looks so good in the first half. Defense looks great as well. And then second half, it's like foot le- foot was left off the pedal, and defense just slow just lost all you know energy just from this offense not continuing to put points up on the board, continuing to put pressure on the, on the Vikings. So, look, I'd, I I think they're they're slowly figuring it out. Like they're they're like those glimpses where it's like, okay, that's the I Eagles agree. team that everyone's like, oh, they'll be back in the Super Bowl this year. Um, but. I, I I'm interested in in this drama because AJ Brown has already forced his way out of one team. You know, it, it's weird because you saw this offseason and in his own podcast about how great, you know, how he loves playing with the Eagles and how he wants Jalen Hurts signed to this massive extension because that man earns his money and how he loves playing with Devontae. I, I mean, they've got a lot of tar- a lot of hands to feed in that offense, and AJ Brown's the big money maker amongst them. I'm I'm interested to see how it goes wow. the rest of the season, okay. and that that Giants fan in me is just hoping for the pitfall of the team to, to collapse is. within. <laughs> and there's the sole reason that it all comes out. Yeah, I don't know. That's my Forced only his... hope. That's my only hope. <laughs> Forced his way out of Tennessee seems a little strong to me. I don't think that's the way that went down personally, but I'm not going to say it wasn't. There's definitely some bad blood there, and he wasn't exactly thrilled what was happening on the Titans. But you're right. There's obviously frustration. I'm not worried about them yet either, but it is a slow start. And you look at the 49ers and you look at the Dallas Cowboys who are going to be their main competitors in the NFC and division with Dallas. They've got to step it up. They do. They've got, they've got to step it up and there's a long time to do so. Let's, let's hold the horses on, on the Cowboys there. no, okay. Okay. Comparison, comparison, really? and opponents. Comparison and opponents. We've seen how bad the Giants look through two weeks. The Jets, they're they're without Aaron Rodgers. They've got Zach Wilson at quarterback. I'm okay with that. And 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 the and the Eagles have played two good. Like the Patriots are going to give a run for everyone's money this year. Like they yes. may not win a lot of games on the football field, but that 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 Patriots team is going to keep keep teams on edge and keep games close and they're going to pull yes. out some wins in Foxborough. So that Eagles Agreed. team winning at Foxborough and winning against the Vikings team that already came off a of week one, disappointing loss against the bucks. And we're obviously fired up going into that Eagles game, especially how last year's game against the Eagles went. I think that there's still two quality wins for the Eagles and especially for them, not even playing at their best and still getting by. I think this Eagles team, if they can just, First of all, keep the team together amidst it. You're 2-0 and at the end of the day, and they could figure out those kinks that are having them falter and play one-half games, then I think they're going to be just fine. Yeah, I think so too. I think at the end of the day, talent overcomes a lot of those things. So with the Eagles, I'm fine. And you look at the Cowboys, I agree with you too on what you're saying there. I, I think you're right. I think we need to hold our hosts. I think they look amazing. Um and I think that actually, you know what, we've, we'll go a little bit out of order here, but that does kind of segue nicely into Micah Parsons is the best defensive player in the league, no questions asked. I think you can at least admit that. I mean, oh, the dude's yes. an absolute menace. Absolute Absolutely. freak. I mean, I, I told you this against the Giants game. They lined him up up the middle to attack yep. the inexperienced guards that we had um, within our offensive line and to attack our rookie center. And he, he was forcing his way to the quarterback every single time. So... It, he, he can do it on the edge. He can do it up the middle. He can drop back into coverage as good as any any linebacker can. 
Um, so, I mean, he's just an athletic freak, and the fact that this guy is only three years into the league is is insane. It's incredible. I think we've just really scratched the surface. I, I, I mean, J.J. Watt and Donald are obviously – you know, the best defensive players I've seen in the last decade or so, but I think he's up there on that level and obviously has a ways to go to get above them. But man, that's in the conversation. We've got a couple guys like that, you know, Justin Jefferson, and you were never allowed to even say the words Jerry Rice, and you're still not, but you're allowed to say the words Randy Moss when it comes to Jefferson, Justin Jefferson. Like, that's a thing. Like, we've got a couple players like that where I don't want to hear Lawrence Taylor yet, but like, it's a thing to mention J.J. and Aaron Donald in the same conversation right now as Micah Parsons. It's absolutely unbelievable, and you, I'm all here for it. I mean, you, screw you, the Cowboys, you but it is fun. About, you want to talk about crazy players. Mac, now get on me, too, if, it, if it's too soon to do this. But two weeks in, B. John Robinson is is oh. making waves. Wow. Is, is making wow. waves. The way oh. he's, ha- he's breaking defenders' ankles is ridiculous. So there's Lord. only two players in the league so far through two weeks who have 250-plus all-purpose yards. One of those players is Christian McCaffrey. The other one wow. is Bijan Robinson. Oh, man. He, I mean, this guy is a beast. He's he. How are you advertised as a goat and the best prospect we've seen in six years at the position and still outdo the hype? I mean, really, when I watch him, I'm like, is he better than I even thought he was? It's insane. And, and at a position, too, that has never been less valued in the league than it is yeah. now. Yep. And yet, that that was the Falcons used a top 10 draft pick on him when they had a great running pack, back production last year from Tyler Algier, as well as from Cordell Patterson, you know, the, the multi-use guy. I forgot the, uh, the term that Arthur Smith gave Cordell Patterson this year in terms of just how much of a wild card he is. And the fact that they still spent that top 10 pick on Bijan, and it's clearly showing through two weeks that it was well worth it because that man is unstoppable. It's the speed. It's the agility. It's the pure power that he runs through defenders and gets you another five yards even while you've got three defenders hanging on you. I mean, I've been thoroughly impressed from him these first two weeks, and it's been a blast watching him. No, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched. I'm so psyched to have a player like him in the league. Uh, he's electric, and I cannot wait to get frustrated for the next two months about Arthur Smith keeping him off the field more than he probably should. But that's exactly what's going to happen because it's Arthur Smith. Uh, let's go to – oh, this is a good one. Keep an eye on it. Brandon Staley, hottest seat in the league. People were calling for his head after the travesty that was – that playoff loss, giving up a 28-point lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then you lose two games, two close games to start out your season, one against the Miami Dolphins in Week 1, and then last week against a Tennessee Titans team who I like. I have them winning the division. But still, you're an L.A. Chargers team with so much time. Every fucking year we do this, and it's it never works out. I don't know what it is, man. I don't know what it is. And 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 I'm a Justin Herbert guy. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But I do need to say this stat because I think it's I think it's worth noting. Justin Herbert shares in the Chargers loss today. Here we go. Leading 21-17, LA had two drives. The Chargers went three and out, then punted after one first down. Then they were trailing 24-21. They had a first and 10 at Tennessee's 14-yard line, 51 seconds left. 51 seconds, 14 yards you need. They kick a field goal. 
the Chargers then win the overtime toss. You know, the Bills cried to the league. They changed the overtime rules after the Chiefs' 13-second miracle. Uh, he gets the toss. This is exactly what you want, right? And in, in the regular season, the rules are still the same. You can just go get a touchdown in, in the game. He throws three straight complete in, in completions. The drive ends. They punt it. His final four drives, Herbert went 9 for 16 for 82 yards. At some point, man, you've got to be held responsible for winning the game. And I know there's issues with the coaching. We're mentioning Brandon Staley and the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator who kind of is Brandon Staley. And But I'm sorry, but if we're going to hold Herbert in this sort of echelon of, of top six, seven guys, which I do, then it, the, the, on the flip side, you do get blamed for some things more than other guys, more than a guy like a Derek Carr, more than a guy like uh, even a Tua at this point, probably. Like, and I know that would maybe be a hot take for some people right now, especially, but I, I just, you've got to win these games. You have to win these games. Mac, I, I agree that if you're going to be considered one of the better quarterbacks in this league, you are able to overcome bad coaching and yes. maybe poor performance from your defense to still find ways to pull wins out. But Mac, I've got I've got to mention these Chargers defensive statistics through two weeks. Fair. All right. So one of the biggest thing, their blitz percentage as a team, they ranked fifth in the league with a thirty nine point two percentage at at blitzing. All right. So they're they're blitzing a lot. They're trying to force that pressure on quarterbacks. But when you look at the end result of it, they're they're only a, they're Hurry percentage on quarterbacks, 4.1%. That's toward the bottom of the league. The lowest at that, the lowest rate are the Browns and the Saints, surprisingly. They they struggle at hurrying um, quarterbacks. But then you also look at the knockdowns per attempt. So that's just putting a quarterback down, down whether it's via sack, whether it's just getting him down on the ground. The Chargers ranked near bottom of the league at 2.9%. So you're blitzing that much, and you're not having any sort of success with it. I mean that that's that's a real concern. Um, you know, and that's been the kind of the case with the Chargers defense for the, the last couple of years. They have good pieces here and there, but as a team, as a collective, their defense has always been a middle of the road defense, and especially in past defense, they have struggled um, at times. So. They're, the offense is putting up points, but they're not doing a good job at defensively at holding teams, and especially a team like like the Titans that looked so dysfunctional against the Saints' defense last week. And, and Ryan Tannehill, we we talked about at what point are the are the Titans yeah. going to move on from Tannehill? And how did Tannehill do this week? He was back to being old Amazing. Tannehill, twenty for twenty four. doing his getting his classic rushing touchdown and and doing the left in the air i mean it it was back to old Tannehill. like nothing ever happened last week that's that's where i'm I'm really concerned because in that that division talking about that afc west again (laughs) that that chiefs offense is one that that the the chargers defense is going to have to find a way to limit the the broncos offense if Sean Payton could get them to playing a good style of offense all four quarters compared to just the first quarter, that's that's one that they're going to have to defend against. And you look at the Raiders' offense. 
Bear in mind, they look terrible against Buffalo. The Raiders have weapons there, and with Josh McDaniels being an offensive-minded coach, they're going to find a way to put points on the board. Brandon Staley's pedigree is defense. Like That's They've it. got to find a way to get a few more stops for Justin Herbert. That's why they hired him for defense. And then they got talent on the defensive side and they suck. I don't understand. JC Jackson was one of the best corners in the league in new England. And a lot of that's because of coaching, but he showed the talent. He showed the skill. He showed the ability to do it on the football field day in, day out. He goes to LA. He's obviously hurt last year for a large part of the year, but he plays. He didn't look good. People chalk it up. Ah, he's, he's coming off the injury this year. He, he He's garbage. He's Travis. He's a travesty. It's it's he's, he's, Losing matchups, he's getting completely cooked. I completely agree. Brandon Staley, hottest seat in the league. I don't think the Chargers are going to fire him midseason, but if they don't get to the playoffs and win a playoff game, I think he's gone. And really, the reason I bring up that Justin Herbert stuff, you're right. It's not completely Herbert's fault. I just don't want him to keep getting completely absolved. You're telling me you haven't won. He hasn't won one of these games, Alex. Literally, one of these games he has not been able to win. And again, he's fighting against his own team, but you have to fucking win one of these games. <laughs> Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, these guys are winning it. There's, they're winning a game. They're winning one of these close games where it comes down to the wire. They're willing themselves to a win. And I just want to see that X factor from Herbert. So this really isn't me admonishing Herbert for his performances. I think he's still been you know above average. But it's really just to say, does he not have that next level? Because those other guys do, and they've shown it. And I don't know if he does. Brandon Staley is hot garbage, and he should be fired after this season unless a complete turnaround happens from the defensive side. But I just want to i just want to make sure we're, we're, we're looking at this quarterback in Justin Herbert that we've already kind of crowned. Is that fair? Yeah, no, that's fair. I got, I got one comment to make before we move on. Great, here. great. C- could, could we say that this is a part of Chargers tradition? Because how many times throughout our <laughs> lifetime did we watch Philip Rivers get himself yeah. in close games, and at the end of the day, the Chargers finding one way or another to fail and lose the game? No, this is exactly right. This is it. It's it's year in, year out. It's just like, oh, okay, that's what happens. It's the Chargers. It's so sad, and I do feel bad for Chargers fans. They're like, they're like Chiefs fans' little brothers. It's just like, oh, sorry, buddy. That's too bad. That's too bad, bud finally got a quarterback and he still can't win you a game against the Titans. And again, I'm not shitting on the Titans. I like Tennessee this year. I've got them winning the division Uh, real quick here. We're going to get to our cross off teams. We're going to be doing that each week before we get out of here, but I just got to get this takeoff. And again, this is keep an eye on it segment. So I'm not just cementing this as my take, but right now from what I've seen from two weeks, and I kind of think it's true. CJ Stroud's the best rookie quarterback in this class from what I've seen. He's, light years beyond what some rookies are that come in the league. Just from a processing standpoint, the ability to go, boom, one read, two read, hey, we're going to go to the check down here. I mean, you're seeing him switch up an audible at the line of scrimmage, and this isn't with some sort of Shane Steichen, Andy Reid, Zach Taylor, McVay, or Kyle Shanahan name. This is with D'Amico Ryans, who's a fantastic defensive mind, and that's why they brought him in for the head coaching position. But he's not an offensive guru. C.J. Stroud has some nice weapons. They've spent some money on the offensive line. But last week, they had four of their five offensive linemen out. Four of their five offensive linemen out against DeForest Buckner in that Colts defensive line. 
CJ Stroud's been sacked 11 times, league leading 11 times in two weeks. He's already been hit. And he's got the ability to just kind of stay in the pocket, get hit as he throws, and 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 make the right decisions. I I I really, really like Stroud. He's thrown for 623 yards. That's near tops the league. Two touchdowns, zero picks. He's completing 64% of his passes. He's got more completions than Herbert and Tua. He's got a higher passer rating, which I don't really care about passer rating, but I'm going to use it because it helps my argument here. Then Matthew Stafford and Daniel Jones. I just think C.J. Stroud has got everything that you want in your rookie quarterback. Sure, he's not the most athletic. That's Anthony Richardson. But he can still move. He can shake. I Stroud's got it all and more. If you get this guy a bona fide number one, which they might have on this team, by the way, Nico Collins is starting to look more and more like that. They've got John Mechie. They've got Robert Woods. They've got Dalton Tank Schultz. They, Tank Dell. They've got a guy in Tank Dell. Great name drop. Exactly. They, they, they're they starting to put this team together, and obviously it's not going to be shit this year or probably next, but man, this is fun. This was one of the worst franchises in the league for years you know, they, they traded DeAndre Hopkins. They had Bill O'Brien as their head coach and GM. They, like, they, for a bag of chips, by the way, is they traded DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of chips. So for them to kind of be crawling out of the utter despair that the Houston Texans have been in is nice to see. And I think that's going to be in part because of D'Amico Ryans and their new stud under Sinner and CJ Stroud. I love it. And my second quarterback, real quick, would be Sam Howell. That's the hot take here. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of hit you right in the gut at the end. It's like, okay, cool, <laughs> CJ. Boom, Sam Howell. What the hell? <laughs> it, look, I got, Sam Howell, I, he has performed a lot better than I think I expected going into it. But I I, th- I got to give some love to the former OC and, and Eric Bieniemy, The way he's turned yes. around his commander's offense. Yes. Because – that offense last year, and I, I think it's kind of been the story of Riverboat Ron's teams, is they're very one-dimensional, <laughs> run the ball. They've got no passing attack. They're just boring to watch. And you look at the way this team just exploded on offense against the Broncos. Uh, I mean, they've got so many dynamic weapons. They, they've got uh, just unique play calls. He's also, too, what I like that he's doing is they're keeping Sam Howell on the move as much as possible. Because when Sam, Sam Howell is very good, at being able to to make throws on the run, um, and I think too a lot of that has to do with their their offensive line not being one of the better units in the league. Uh, so it's it's forcing Sam Howe out of the pocket to begin with and not have and getting the ball out of his hands quick. He he has looked good, but I, I would say my number two on most impressive rookie quarterbacks behind Stroud is Anthony Richardson. That's, the, that's the two totally rushing touchdowns fair. against the Texans. I mean, Absolutely. prior to the concussion, I was impressed with him week one against the Jaguars defense. That's, yeah. that's a, a great unit, um, the way in which he performed in his first game. I, I was impressed by it. And I, I think I really like Shrout and Richardson so far. And I've I've kind of been surprised at the at how poor Bryce Young has looked in comparison to them through two weeks. And I'm not I'm not surprised about the Bryce thing. Again, terrible weapons, terrible team. I, I'm I'm taking a year on that. I'm taking a year on Bryce Young. I just really don't want him to get hurt. I mean, honestly, knock on wood if you're a Panthers fan or a Bryce Young fan in general. Like it's scary. He he's five foot nine, 185 pounds soaking wet, and he's got a terrible offensive line, no weapons, no running back, and it's just not gonna be fun. The defense isn't that good. It's it's gonna be really sad for for them this year. And 
But but for the most part, though, I think the rookie quarterbacks have had their flashes. Even Bryce Young has had some moments where it's like, okay, he gets it. Sam Howell gets it. Anthony Richardson understands this. C.J. Stroud is excelling. Like, I'm excited about the rookie quarterbacks. And we're going to do this kind of rookie report. We'll have a rookie report segment, uh, I think, once a month is what we'll do. We'll do it at week four. We'll do, And it won't just be quarterbacks. We'll look, just look at some rookies and do a rookie report uh, once a month, which will be fun. Uh, we're also going to do this almost every episode or, or, or you know, we'll, 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 we'll end it for a lot of the time, but cross off teams. We're just going to cross off teams from playoff contention. We'll just kind of keep track of this list of who our cross off teams are, see what we get right, see what we get wrong. And I'm sure there'll be a moment where we cross off a team after week five, we're pissed off. And then week nine comes around and goes, Oh shit, they're kind of good. Actually, we shouldn't have crossed them off. So let's, let's kind of see what happens here. But the first one should be easy. Um, let's cross off three teams today, Alex and, and tell me, Cardinals. We've obviously we're talking about them. Let's 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 get them crossed off. It feels like a gimme. Yep. Yep. Uh, Panthers. Yes. All right. Yes. Let's cross them off. And then third team. I I've got Bears or Broncos written down, which I don't want to go Bears because that's three NFC teams. I don't think the Broncos are the worst AFC team. But again, I did walk through earlier how it's plausible they could go zero and ten. Mac, you go... I'm, I'm I'm prepared to go Bears, but I'm prepared to go right. Bears. I think. I think the wow. NFC is going to be very tough to make the playoffs out of to where you're going to need a nine, at least a nine-win season to make it out of there. And I just don't see the Bears making up that kind of ground um, with it, how they've performed in the, in the in the first two weeks. Defense has been horrible. Offense looks com- completely dysfunctional. I, I don't see them making up that ground. So I'm, I'm ready to, to cross off the Bears. Let's do it, dude. An NFC cross-off. Cardinals, Panthers. And Chicago Bears, you're gone. You're cooked. And you mentioned the NFC, uh, 6-0 and against the AFC in the first two weeks. That hasn't happened since like 1979 or something. So, yeah, the NFC is actually surprisingly looking maybe better than the AFC. Obviously, it's two weeks in, and I'm not for sure. But either way, you know, if, if, if you're just talking about a whole 16 teams conference and the other 16 teams, 1 through 16, there's a chance you're right. The NFC might be stronger. We'll see, uh, obviously, early. But, yeah, those are our cross-up teams. But- what we could do, though, is you can go ahead and cross off the Broncos, and we'll keep track of when you marked it off. And then, you know, you get an, we'll, we'll have to tally a point system. And if you get it a week before Ooh. me, love it. Then you, then you get the bump on it. So you'll have a points edge on it if you're prepared to take Broncos on week two being out of it. Absolutely. Give me that point. Give me the donkeys. <laughs> They're gone. They're done. Screw them. They're toast. And it's not just this year. They're toast for a while. Have fun with that first-round pick, second-round pick, and fourth-round pick for, a, for a, an overrated head coach. I love it. This is a great way to end <laughs> the second episode of Behind the Box Score. This was super fun. Again, we're going to be here once a week. Come follow us on Twitter. I'm MacJMorey25. Alex, I don't got your username in front of me. Where can they follow you? It is at, at AlexComas underscore nine. And that's Comas, just C-O-M-A-S. Yep, C-O-M-A-S. And I'm Maury, M-O-R-E-Y. Again, follow us. Go see our stuff. We're going to be every week, Tuesday or Wednesday release. And we may start doing two a week. But yeah, this is the Behind the Box Score podcast. We're super glad you listened. Cardinals, Panthers, Bears slash Broncos, you're gone. You're out. We'll see you again later, guys. Thanks for listening.